our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello, welcome to Girls That Invest. I'm so excited to have you here with me. Today it's a bit of a special episode because we have the Erin Daring in the studio. Erin is a nine-figure business owner who created one of the most amazing companies. She was able to take her startup, turn it into a $2 million company with her co-founder and was at one point the youngest, richest woman in Australia, which is such a title. Erin co-founded the company Triangle, which was a overnight sensation. It was a bikini company that went global. You would have remembered those like neon bras with the black outlines. They were super popular during like early Instagram days, Tumblr days. They were selling at two thousand pairs of bikinis per day. Kendall Jenner wore them, Kim Kardashian wore them, and yet it was a very lean startup that Erin and her co-founder and partner at the time were running through Hong Kong. I cannot stress how interesting it was to talk to Erin about her story, to talk to her about her experience of buying a super yacht and buying a private jet and dripping herself in designer clothes and living in Monaco and yet being unhappy. We have this belief that having a lot of wealth is going to be the secret that unlocks our freedom, our success, our happiness. And so to hear from probably one of the richest people we've ever had on the show, talk about things in a way that completely surprised me. I just cannot wait for you to have a listen and to figure out if money truly can't buy happiness or if it can, how much we need. I hope you enjoy the show. Now, before we get into the episode, we want to thank our season sponsor, Rentap. Paying rent is a hassle, but what if we told you there's an easier and more straightforward way? Meet Rentap, your ultimate rent paying sidekick. No more ATM trips, no more checks, and no more app juggling. RentApp deposits your rent directly into your landlord's account hassle-free. Plus, it's free to you and your landlord doesn't need an account either. But here's the kick. RentApp doesn't just stop at rent. They're all about helping you build a brighter financial future. There's even an option to report rent payments to boost your credit score, making homeownership more achievable. 
For our GTA listeners, we've got an exclusive deal. Use our referral link rent.app slash GTI for $50 cash back on your first rent payment. Ready to simplify? Check out the referral link in the description or head over to rent.app slash GTI and make rent a breeze. Hello, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to get started. Let's go straight back to where it began. Tell me about what your relationship was like with money when you were growing up. It's changed and hasn't changed too much. So growing up, very middle-class family, so didn't have anything that we didn't need. We went on some nice like holidays, nothing overseas, just like to another capital city, but nothing lavish. If we wanted something like a present, it was either for birthdays or for Christmas. And I learned quite early on that whatever I wanted on top of that, I had to work for it. So that was pocket money, doing chores. That was trying to sell things up and down the street pressing flowers onto cards and like going and trying to get money from like all the neighbors and doing jobs for neighbors. Like I remember writing little flyers of, you know, like I will water gardens when people are away or I like, you know, took the mail out and I would make these little flyers and I took them around and dropped them into letterboxes and tried to see what work I could get. So I always had an understanding of whatever I wanted that was additional, that was like Uh, like a more lavish thing, I had to work for it. So I sort of had that relationship. My dad was incredibly hardworking, still is. He's 70 next year and is still full-time, like going hard at his own business. And so I got that from him, that really strong work ethic and always just thought the harder I work, the more money I might make, which definitely has been challenged over the years. And I have a slightly different belief system now, but I definitely knew that I had to work to get what I wanted. It was never that kind of just understanding of things will just come my way. No entitlement. Where did that idea of wanting more come from? Was it like the idea to have more freedom? Was it seeing your dad have more flexibility? Like what sort of drove you to go, okay, I know I need to work to get this money, but kids don't usually grow up going, I want to start, you know, a $200 million business one day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm very competitive. So when I realized probably when I got to secondary school that we weren't wealthy, we weren't one of those families where my dad was like a high powered CEO. And I had a bit of a lack mentality around that thinking, well, why not? Like, why didn't we get that? Like, you know, in the beginning, it was a bit of a victim mentality of sort of my parents sent me to an independent girls school, but it was like not one of the top ones and we were not wealthy by any means. And so I always looked at those people and just thought, gosh, I really want that for my life. And, you know, for a while it was kind of like, like, why did we not? And it was a lot of that. Like, I'm so interested in human psychology and behavior and like, why is that family like this and why are they like that? And my dad was pretty senior up in an insurance company, but nowhere near the level of what these people were. And I was like, I couldn't work out how and why. And all I knew that was within my control was to work really, really hard. And that for me at the time was just assuming that the harder I work, the more money I get, the happier I would be. It felt like a really clear calculation with like a really great end result. Mm-hmm. The harder I work, the more money I have, the happier I'll be. We'll get into money and happiness and if it really buys it because you're definitely the person to ask. But before we do, I had one more question around your childhood and money. What was your view on the relationship that people had with money? Did you think people with money were like, evil or were you like no you can be good with money or has that changed over time yeah I always saw people with money as just being really powerful 
Uh, mm. And I feel like they had a lot more choice at their disposal, a lot more, I guess, freedom it looked like. You know, they were the ones with the nicer cars going overseas. They were the ones that got the best table at a restaurant or the ones that just walked around with a bit of an air of them. Like when I was younger, I didn't realise that that was a lot of ego and then that necessarily isn't a positive thing. But at the time I was like, gee, that's nice to have that kind of power. I think I would like that kind of power. Uh, So that's kind of what I saw with people with money. And it's funny because growing up, it felt like a lot of the children of these parents were quite entitled and I never really bought into that, nor did I think that that was interesting. But I liked the level of power and freedom that the parents seemed to have. So I was always like, well, this isn't going to change me. I realized quite early on as a teenager, this isn't going to change. My parents aren't going to overnight become multimillionaires. So all I can do is work to become a more high-powered adult and how do I get there? But also with a real awareness of I don't want to sell my soul in the process because I really did value, you know, that I was a good person, that I was fair, that I was kind. And there's a bit of like a gap in my mind or, you know, didn't really line up how these people with all this money and power, did they really care who they were as a person? And so I was like, how am I going to navigate that? Because I felt almost like I had to choose between one or the other going on my way, which as I got into my 20s and got into my career, I started to see that as kind of being the case. It's great that you mentioned that so early because oftentimes people in our community wonder, well, look, I want to grow wealthy or I want to invest, I want to have a business, but I'm worried that having that will mean I become entitled or I'm, you know, one or the other. How did you learn to not let that affect you? As someone that has, you know, experienced it and probably met a lot of other wealthy people, do you think that you can have wealth and be a good person? Because we obviously believe it, but has that changed for you? Yeah, I definitely believe it. I still think that like the way I kind of see it now and where I've come to with it, because as I was in my 20s and trying to kind of climb this corporate ladder or have a career and realize the ceiling was pretty low, I still looked at all these people that were in these high-powered roles and they weren't, there was a lot of power, it was the greed, was the ego, which I was like, okay, that's not ideal. What I think the difference is, is you can be wealthy and be a good person if you really know why you want to be wealthy and you really understand the why behind your need to have wealth. And if you can really access that and really harness that, then it's not really going to slip into ego or greed because a lot of these people that have that mega, like who needs a billion dollars, right? Like who even (laughs) needs hundreds of millions of dollars? We don't, you know, unless we've got this incredible philanthropic need to do, you know, most people just want that money because they want to keep going and they want to make as much money because it's got the power with it and the ego and the greed. So if you can really access, and what I've really tried to do is access, like what do I need wealth-wise to feel happy and fulfilled and then I will work towards that. And that does have a level for everyone. Some people's is really down here. Some people have a quite high one. When you can really access that, why do I want to be wealthy and what for, really, and that involves a lot of doing a lot of work on yourself as well, then you can be a good person at the same time. Do you think your why has changed from when you were at the start of your business journey and the start of, let's say, your wealth journey to the why now? Oh, so much. Because at the start with Triangle, I just assumed that money equaled happiness. So having this financial freedom, which felt great because financial freedom affords you more choices regardless of whether you're happy or not, it does. So it takes away some of the stress, which can add to a little bit of happiness. But I realized that it just wasn't this equal sum of both parts. It wasn't like money 
and success equals happiness. And so now I've had a complete change of that where I just work backwards from what do I want in my life? Like if I could have everything tomorrow that I really, really wanted, like how many cars would I want? How many houses? And when you work back from that, you feel really silly thinking like, well, I want to have a, you know, and I've gotten rid of all these things. Like I used to want this beautiful old car, vintage car. And I was like, well, I have four children. So when would I drive it? Where would it be parked? That's just silly. And so these things go. And the more these things go, the more you almost kind of go, well, firstly, I'm almost arrived at this place anyway. And my why isn't about accumulating as much money as possible. It's about doing something that, of course, is going to be profitable and might get these few nice extra material things that I want because there's nothing wrong with nice things. I love fashion. I love interior design. There's nothing wrong with that. But knowing to what level that has to like stop at as opposed to like, well, now this house is finished. I'm going to buy another house. I'm going to do that with another house. And it's like you just have to understand that within yourself and I guess work backwards from what you really actually need. Do you think it's a slippery slope in your journey of how much we want and how much is enough? Because we often get taught, we speak about it on the podcast a lot, you know, know your number. What's your number that when you reach that financial goal, that financial net worth, that you can go, okay, this is plentiful. Did you have a number when you were at the start? Were you like, if we get this to $10 million or $100 million, I'm done, I'm good? I think we were like, if we make a million dollars, which we got through (laughs) like three months. So we were like, Hmm. New goal <laughs> needed. Our baseline was so low with Triangle. It really was. We wanted to sell one bikini a day. And the maths on that was because one bikini a day profit-wise over the year was our incomes that we were both on in our jobs in Melbourne. So we were like, anything over that is great. And then that moves, that goalpost moves. And I think often this is where the disappointment comes in or the lack of fulfillment because we didn't have a set goalpost. We didn't have this sort of when will it be enough and it just kept going and going and going. So we were like, whoa, let's, let's keep going and going and going. And there's no expectations set, you know. And so that was one of the million things with Triangle that led to my lack of fulfillment. But that was one that I, we didn't know. And it was kind of fun. But at the same time, it was like, well, when can we turn around and call this a success? And it was only after I exited the business and on reflection, I was like, whoa. That was really successful. That was amazing what happened. You know, at the time, you just don't really even think about it because you're in it. You were like, wow, we wanted to sell one bikini a day. And at one point, we were selling 2,000 a day. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, that's different. And so now in business, I think the nicest thing that I see and that I align myself to is just to know what you want to make. And you don't need to grow. This is the thing. Like businesses need to get to a point where they're growing initially because you've got to get to a point, but then you don't need to keep going. And Triangle, you know, since I exited, has sustained a really lovely and quite a few of the brands from around that time that launched that had that meteoric rise have all steadied off. And a lot of them didn't grow into billion-dollar companies, but they're doing really well. And there's so much beauty in those stories that doesn't get told enough because everyone wants to tell the unicorn story of the business that went from here to the moon. But there's so many stories of great businesses that are just trekking along because they have their goals, they have their expectations, and they don't do anything to get in the way of that in terms of let's get bigger and bigger and bigger because a lot of the time it's like, why? <laughs> what do you want that for? What do you want more for? It's just to be able to say we had a unicorn. That, yeah, that's I know. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate that I've had one so I can say that and park yeah. it and now I get to be like, oh, now I do this. 
<laughs> like, would I have wanted that then? I think in hindsight, if we'd had that with Triangle and we knew that, I mean, you can't prepare for what you don't know is going to happen. If we'd had that time to sort of sit down and say, where do we want to go with this? And let's do a business plan and let's have some projections. I think it would have been a lot more smooth sailing of what we were doing because it was just so crazy what was happening around us. It felt like we were in this middle of this tornado of everything that we just had no grounding force to kind of just like slow us down, not even the business, but slow us down because we were caught up in it. Like we were just doing what Triangle was doing all across the world. It was mad. That is so mind-blowing to hear. And for those that are yet to read the book, which is, by the way, fantastic. I read it in like three days. Our community knows it takes me months to finish (laughs) a book. I'm the friend that has like three books open at the same time. It was just so interesting. I read it so quickly. And one of the parts of the book that really stuck with me, I guess part of the reason why we were so keen on having you on the show was you talked about how you know, you did get to a stage where you had a haul, you had the super yacht, you were living in Monaco. If you were like, oh, I want to move to New York, you just could, which leads to the big question that everyone always wants to know. Yeah. You had it all. Did money buy happiness? Can it buy happiness? Were you just buying the right things or the wrong things? Like, how do we get there? Yeah. So, In short, absolutely no, it can't buy happiness at all. It's such an individualized process, you know, because I can say that then, but I can also say now the life that I live now, having financial freedom makes me feel really happy because I don't have to worry about things. I have a team to help me and I can start a new business and put the staff and team in place and not bootstrap it and be stressed. Me now feels happy with that, but that's a process of how I feel. So with Triangle, because I wasn't feeling happy, I wasn't doing anything to support my mental, physical, emotional health. So everything around me felt completely pointless and like it didn't even exist. So it really does start with you and whatever money you have around you, whether it's $50, $500 million is going to be only reflected back on you by the state that you're in mentally and emotionally. And I can say that so comfortably because I really did live it. You know, we were on our super yacht. I had every opportunity available to me at all times, like whatever we wanted to do, however we wanted to live, wherever we wanted to go, it was there. And we had people to get us there and we could throw any amount of money at it that we wanted. And so that was just amazing on one hand, but because I was so miserable internally already, it didn't make a difference. And I tried, I bought everything. I did everything. I distracted myself at every single turn. But, you know, I always say, and I wrote about this in the book that it was late at night when you get into bed and you're in bed, like every other person, regardless of what money position they're in or in bed at the same kind of time or in the same situation every night, because it's what we all do every night. And those feelings and thoughts can't escape you then and you can't be like no but I'm pretending now because it's the quiet of the night and that was when all those feelings came and I thought well money can't you know the next step would have been to medicate myself to numb those feelings which I never wanted to do and never got to that but that's where a lot of people do go in that situation when they're so deeply unhappy and the expectation was that money and success were going to solve the problems that they'd perhaps been running from. And for me, it was very simple that if I just understood my own mental health and my own emotional health during that period, I would have been able to come to realizations quicker. I would have been able to enjoy 
life a lot more during that time and appreciated that money. And I would have probably looked back on that time and be like, that was fun. Money did make me happy (laughs) because I was already happy, you know, if I was in that moment. So the money is just a reflection of your inner state. Like it really, really is, which I've lived for the last 10 years from having all the money to then having none and realizing my different state of minds at different times. So it's been a pretty incredible experience. And I'm really fortunate to be able to tell people that money doesn't make you happy if you aren't happy, essentially, because it can't change how you feel. Was there ever a purchase during that, you know, Monaco phase of your life, if we can call it that, was there ever a purchase where you were like, if I buy this, this will fix it? Oh, always. Always. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Every day, especially near the end, because, you know, for the first few years of Triangle, we were very busy. So everything was put on getting the business to work and that was quite fun and exciting and that was peppered with low points but peppered with a lot of exciting high points. And then once the business hit that high point of just churning money, you know, it was just like bikinis out, money in, and there wasn't actually that much to do for a year or two really because that was just working. It was just happening. It was like all the work we'd done in the first few years had just started to do its thing. And so I had a lot of free time and I was just trying to buy things to make me feel happy or do things. So I would drink every day. I was drinking alcohol every day. I would think about drinking alcohol the moment I woke up in the morning. At that point, it wasn't really escapism from feeling bad. It was me trying to relax my mind into appreciating what I had. And that's how I saw alcohol. You know, I was like, if I can sit in Monaco at this cafe where, you know, it's all billionaires and I can just order, a, you know, thousand dollar bottle of champagne and I can drink that and it's going to make me relax and feel good about how lucky I am. That was kind of my mentality. And I did that, you know, every chance I could, every day that I could, I'd shop at all the shops, I'd be buying everything. And then I would just get home and the numbness and the sadness and the unfulfillment would just be there. It was just always there. And it would be worse after alcohol as well, because you have the high and then you have the low and nothing ever fixed it. Nothing ever came remotely close. Even sailing on the super yacht, going into Capri, which is my favorite place in the world, going, this is me. I own this boat. I'm here. I'm in the top 1% of the world, you know, that tale I was trying to tell myself to believe it just didn't land because it wasn't how I felt inside about myself or about what I had. Your journey is really interesting because now you've kind of come from that and you're so passionate about helping women flourish in our personal lives and loving ourselves. How did you go from that to, you know, where you are now? How did you unlearn what you felt so that when you did, you know, make money again or when your wealth did grow back again, it just sounds like a completely different experience. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved back to Australia, which was the first thing that I had to do, which was coming back to where I grew up, where old Aaron was and had lived and, you know, so that was pretty confronting. And I just had been really honest about where I was mentally and where I was emotionally in my life, which was miserable. And I kind of, I guess I say, you know, I hit rock bottom, but it wasn't really, there was nothing that happened. It was just, I allowed myself to verbalize how awful I was feeling, which was a bit of a rock bottom because I came back and I'm Miss Triangle and everyone's like, why? 
<laughs> why are you a man? And I, you know, and I tried to live up to that for a while. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm only visiting Australia. I'm not <laughs> staying. I'm going back to Monaco to my dream life. And once I started verbalizing how miserable I was, how awful the last few years had been for me, and being honest about that was when I started to realize, firstly, I needed to do some work on myself to change that narrative because. Just moving back to Australia didn't fix me. You know, all the years of whatever was going on in my mind was still there at the chaos. So I had to do a lot of work on myself to heal from that, work through that, talk through that constantly, you know, learn all these behaviors and patterns that I'd picked up along the way. Because when you pretend you're happy for an extended period of time, you're doing a lot of actions and behaviors that are supporting this lie. So your brain is like, well, this is how we talk. This is how we think. So you have to do a lot of reprogramming to to unlearn that. And that's just a lot of talking to specialists and, you know, therapists and a lot more spiritual modalities to try and like really access it. And a lot of hard work for me to continue living my life in Melbourne, to not make the lazy, easy choice to move back to Monaco, which was always an option for me or, you know, all these different things. And fortunately, we had a pandemic here in Australia and I was in Melbourne, which was locked down for two years. So I was kind of stuck, (laughs) stuck having to really focus on getting better and getting better in a way of just really getting back to who I was well before Triangle. And not that Triangle was a bad thing, but I just picked up some really bad behaviors during that whole business experience. And then when I, you know, only really last year was when I started to realize the connection that I had through being honest and vulnerable, because I thought everyone wanted to hear of my success story and how well Triangle did and how incredible I was at what I did. But what everyone really wanted to hear and what I loved sharing the most was how hard it was. And once I really got my head and my heart around that, that's what people wanted. It all kind of laid out for me very easily and freely that this is the story that I'm supposed to be sharing. And this is probably why Triangle happened to me in this way was so I can share my lessons and experiences from it so other people feel less alone with whatever stage of their business and life journey that they're on. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win, win, win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Would you say that there was a part of you that was maybe running from what you had to deal with and by growing this business and focusing on the business and getting triangle to where it was, it was a way to not have to go through or maybe face the parts that, you know, we all need to work on? Yeah. I mean, I was 27 when we started Triangle. 
So I didn't really have any concept of self-development or I was just like running a million miles an hour at being successful. And it was only once I got really into triangle and almost near the end, did I start to realize the value in taking care of yourself in that way. And on reflection, it was like, oh, there were all these things that I should have understood, you know, that at one point the business was going to outgrow my skill set. And that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person and that I'm dumb. That just means that I need to level up or bring people in around me that are smarter than me. You know, I didn't know that. So when that happened at Triangle, I felt totally pointless in the business and just had so much self-loathing about that. And that was just so silly on reflection, but I was still only, you know, probably 29 at that point. So it's like I was a child. I had this conversation with someone not long ago and I was saying, you know, it'd be great to let people know when they go into a business how this is. And they said, but Aaron, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't even listen. Like like, if someone had told you how to prepare mentally and emotionally for a business at 27, would you have listened to them? I'm like, no. (laughs) You think you're invincible still. You just, I feel like at 27, you're just coming out of feeling invincible, but you're not quite there yet. Like you're starting to realize that life might throw some curveballs at you in the next six to 10 years but you're still feeling really young and dumb and like really like I'm going to get through with nothing. I'm going to get through with no problems. And then they hit you in the face and that was basically triangle. It was just they call it the Saturn Returns, 27 to 33, which is this huge shift for females especially during those six years. And that just happened to be my six-year journey was with triangle. So I just experienced all of that in a very big way, you know. So when I got sped out the other side, I was like, okay, cool. I've learned some great stuff. Like I wouldn't change a thing, to be honest. I feel like 27 was the year I started noticing knee pain and I was like, oh, if I don't go for a walk, my knees will hurt. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, hang on a minute. Is this what people talk about? This pain thing? I know. Crazy. It is absolutely wild. And so it sounds like, you know, you came back, you've had this journey of self-discovery and realization. And what is your relationship with money like now? Like, do you find that you know, it has obviously been able to, as you said in your own words, bring you more comfort and you're not as stressed and you have resources now. Would you say that there are still things that you, you know, can spend money on that you enjoy? What are the things that you value? It's not something that comes naturally to me, management of money, care of money. I'm the kind of person that I'm like, I know how to make it. I know how to spend it. That's kind of it. That's something that I'm constantly working on and learning. And I feel that that's just come with age as well. And now I have more of an interest. Like I was actually lying in bed last night and I sighed and my husband was like, what's going on in your mind? And I was like, no, no, I was just thinking about like revenue and projections and like something that I would never say. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, wow, you've changed, you know, and I just, I'm thinking about it in a different way. You know, I'm starting a business next year. So, and I'm investing a lot of time and a lot of money into it because I can, and I want to, and I'm just setting it up in the right way, in my way as well, because I do think that I have my skill sets. I bring the right people in around me, but I still don't want people to be telling me how to utilize and spend my money when I don't understand, because I'm just going to let them do it put my head in the sand and then in a year's time be like, oh, what? What happened? I didn't know. Two things that really stick out for me during the triangle time that I now have taken on is, you know, firstly, there's no such thing as a dumb question when it comes to money, you know, like the silliest things about tax or about like how much it's going to cost to do this or whatever it is. There's no such thing as a dumb question because if you don't ask, you don't know. 
And who cares if someone thinks you're dumb when you ask questions? I mean, my gosh, anyone that manages my money knows that <laughs> they must just go home and be like, wow, I don't know. How has she done what she's done? She's stupid because <laughs> they're dumb questions. And secondly, to never invest in anything that you don't fully understand. And I really like that one. That one has probably held me back from doing any investments for a very long time because I'm like, don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. But I like the freedom in just being okay with knowing that, especially someone like me who isn't money-centric in that way of really having a huge interest in anything other than my own fanciful, like, I want to make money, I want to spend money, but really just like only investing in things that you understand and then making sure you've got the right trusted people around you to help you explain if you do want to make an investment, which I fortunately have quite a few people around me, friends, a few people that I pay, but a few other incredible people that will always sort of, you know, go over something with me if I need to ask a few questions. There is no such thing as a dumb question. No, there's not. There really isn't. Because otherwise you're the dumb one if you just ignore it and it ends up being something that's really detrimental to your life or your business. Oh, absolutely. And in terms of your investing, where do you like to put your money? Are you someone that kind of puts it a little bit everywhere? Angel investing, property, shares or? Yeah, yeah. So property a little bit, but I find that that's such a big chunk of money and it's a little boring and it just doesn't have the return that I, I'm a little more of a high risk investor, although I say that without really having any high risk investments at the moment. I kind of like <laughs> the idea of it. And then when it comes to it, I'm like, actually, not angel investing a little bit, but not really. What I find with investing is if I don't have time to spend on understanding it and really investing my time into it, then I don't want to invest my money into it. So I have one investment that I'm about to make into a business that I actually will work in as well as an advisor, which is always how I've liked to do it because I don't see the point in just putting money into something and you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Also, because I feel like if my skill set works with the business and they're lacking that, then it's a great partnership. It just makes sense to me. It's just how I kind of like to do investments. So that's just one. And this one's been really easy. And I find that there's been other businesses I've wanted to invest in or they wanted me, but it doesn't go anywhere. And when it feels hard, that's my like warning to kind of be like, I'm out, like this is not going to work. But this one that I'm just about to sign papers on is so exciting. It's happened so easily, really quickly. And I'm really excited about that one. And then other than that, my money is in pretty low risk investment portfolio that I have a team manage for me at the moment. And I might diversify a little bit out of that at some point, but because I'm investing in my own business, which I'm launching next year, for me, that's kind of like two investments that I'm looking at, which is like more than enough for me to kind of manage. You know, I don't need a huge investment portfolio I'm really fortunate to be sitting on a great capital sort of chunk and I'm just being really safe with it, especially whilst I get another business off the ground because it's probably going to chew up more money than I think it will because I just know it probably will because it usually does. And that's kind of my focus for next year. So it's really just investing in things that I love and taking my sweet time with it. (laughs) I find that amazing. I have had a few friends exit businesses of like similar sizes and they end up taking that capital and like just either investing it straight away or they keep a little bit in cash and kind of like help it work that way. So it's really interesting to hear how everyone does it because it doesn't seem like there's a one size fits all answer. No. And I think if you kind of let go of 
what people are telling you to do and just sort of do what you want to do. Like I was at the point even where I was nervous to ask to take some of my money out from the portfolio it was in and I was like, this is silly. Or even this is actually a crazy story, which I hope I'll keep telling one day if this business I start becomes really successful. But I was actually thinking of getting investment for this business I'm starting because my mindset was so protective of my capital. I didn't want to touch it. So even I, and I'm dead against getting investors, like I advise all startups not to do it. And I was looking at venture capitalists like, maybe I'll get it in it. And I was just, just like bizarre, the mentality that sometimes we have, because I was so protective of this capital that had to sit at a number and I couldn't touch it. And now I'm like, no, I'm drawing down on that. Because if anyone's going to invest in my business, it's going to be me. (laughs) That is so interesting that even when you have, you know, a little bit of money to work with, we're still scared to spend it. Like when's that safe number going to exist? I don't think one does. I have one and then it moves and then I I have one and then it moves and then it's higher. And then, you know, I tend to find anyone or anything that suits what I believe. So there's a few people and a few things that I really love referencing. And they're probably the people that are a little more high risk and saying like, you know, go hard or go home. And I don't really have a number at the moment because I'm just like, yeah, whatever. If it doesn't work, we'll sell our house. (laughs) Yeah. And we can figure it out. I've had nothing before. (laughs) I think that's the benefit of having like a unicorn business that grows so quickly is we worked really, really hard for a small amount of time though. So it's like, if it all goes, which it won't, but if it did, it's kind of like, ah, just start again, you know? And I think that's a mentality that's really safe to have because you don't want to get too attached to a number, you know? The biggest thing that I value with my money is that I don't want stress with that. So like whilst I don't have a number, I know that if I say went and bought another house or did a huge high risk investment that put my capital in some kind of stress, then that's not worth it. So whatever decisions are not going to do that at the moment, then like I'm safe with that. You know, it's like some people are so happy to do that and they don't really feel it, but I live a relatively stress-free life, especially when it comes to money. And I want to keep it that way. So that's kind of my only rule. A very good rule to have. Yeah. So it sounds like you never decided, you know what, I'm going to sit on a beach forever and just live off, you know, all this hard work that I've done. Do you think that's just a lie that we tell ourselves, you know, I'm going to do this big startup, I'm going to sell it or I'm going to exit it and then I'll relax. Have you seen anyone genuinely do that? No, no, because I think if you are truly entrepreneurial and have that drive, it's not going to go away if you make money. In fact, it's probably going to come back stronger than ever. You know, when I exited Triangle, I would say I'm never starting another business. Anyone would ask me, I'd go, oh, my God, no, because in my head I was like, I just want to relax. I was like maybe philanthropy, like I'll just do mentoring, which I'm so passionate about, but it was very like la-di-da. And then you know, it's taken me five years, mind you, to get the drive really back. But now I would be more driven now than I can remember ever being, even with Triangle, because it doesn't leave when you really have that creative entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, my goal isn't to start this business and grow it and sell it. My goal is to work on this business and with this business for a very, very long time, because I want to do something that's really fun, that makes people feel really good And it makes me feel really good because, you know, at the end of the day, like that's kind of what it's all about. Like what's the point if you're not having fun and enjoying your life? What's the point of not having fun if you're not enjoying your life? That is a very, very powerful message for this new business that's coming up. 
now that you've had, you know, the experience that you've had, what are you going to do in terms of your mindset around success and wealth differently than when you started with Triangle? And, you know, if someone else is at the start of their business journey, what can they take away and go, okay, based on the same experience, I'm not going to fall for the same trap. I'm not going to, you know, try and have it all. How do we find fulfillment and financial success? Yeah. So I feel that the old way of doing business is on the way out. And I don't even know what that really means other than it's a feeling that all these, you know, like business plans and projections and like, you know, taking out loans or getting investors or because we're all digesting all this information that's coming from everywhere, no one's able to really think about what they really want. And we're just going into things kind of going like, I'll just do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do this marketing campaign. I'll gift things on social, blah, 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 blah. you know, and you do all these things because you have to, and not any point have you sat with yourself and gone, what do I want here? So that is how my business is being set up right now. I'm just going by what I want to do and how I want to do it and what's going to make me happy. And thinking about my business plan is like me next year, me in five years, me in 10 years. And that's, you know, I have a family. So it's like, how will that look? And do I want to move overseas with the business? Like, would I like to scale it and move me, you know, and all of these things to suit me and to suit my family and to suit my life. That's the first step, you know, like, why do I want to do this? Not so much even what money I need, but like, what would I, and that comes into it, obviously, but like, what do I want here? Like, what are the goals? Like, is it to be the biggest brand in Australia, biggest brand in the world? Is it just to be a sustainable brand that's known for the, like, whatever it is, you know, like that start from there. And then for me that I never did a triangle because we grew so quickly is everyone that's coming into my team and I've hired about four people, setting them up in the best way possible. So I want everyone that works with me to be super aligned, really a culture over everything else. And this really excites me because this is something I've never done before. It's very new for me. Everyone's getting all their proper job descriptions. We're setting up all the strategy days. And in my way, I'm not even looking to what anyone else has done. I'm just doing what I think feels right that I want to do, you know, like beautiful food in the office, making sure everyone has time off when they need it. For me, and this is something that I think is probably applicable to people that might be listening, there's not so much the product or the service at the end of it that's the thing that I really am focused on. It's how to do business moving forward because we're at work so much. And there was all this thing of like work-life balance and like hybrid working and all of this stuff. At the end of the day, if you work full-time, you're working more than you're not, you know, if you don't include sleep. So making that a really incredible, completely blended experience with not working. So it feels kind of like, because what I loved about being a founder the most was how it didn't feel like work because you're working for yourself. So I want everyone that works with me to feel that same way, to like feel like they can come and go a little bit as they please, but to also know that they want to be there as much as possible to get what they need to get done in whatever way it is. So that's my goal and my intention and the product and the service at the end of it is really secondary to how the business should operate moving forward because everyone deserves to have a really great time because this is fashion and because I've worked in fashion my whole life and people take it so seriously and I used to always be like when I used to work in retail I'd be like it's just clothes like no one's dying and so I really want to take that through. Erin I'd love to ask one last question before we let you go 
If someone is listening in and you just want them to be able to take one thing from this conversation, we live in a world where, you know, it looks like everyone is living their best lives. Everyone is traveling to Europe every summer. Somehow everyone is doing all of these crazy things. And I feel like life gets faster and faster every single year. What would you say to them to help them realize that, yes, money is important. And yes, obviously we need enough to survive and be comfortable but I know that some people will get to the end of the episode and go, mm, I still think money can buy me happiness. Yeah. The first thing I would say is to stay in your own lane with it, you know, because we are in, and I used to think this before social media. So I can't imagine, I can only imagine what it would be like for people now scrolling Instagram and seeing that. I mean, I think it, I just look at people and I'm like, I can't afford that. How are you affording that? That blows my mind. And I think, you know, the big thing about that is that we all feel a little bit insignificant and a little bit like we don't have enough. We're not doing enough. We need more, you know, and if I feel that in the position that I'm in, then everyone feels it. And it's just a state of mind. It's not the reality. Instagram, especially in social media is such a load of crap. Everyone is putting out, like, who knows what's real? Like, I mean, who knows what's real? And so staying in your own lane with that is really important. And finding the people around you, a couple of people that are doing what you feel that you can do yourself. You know, find those role models on social media or in the real world or whoever they are. And just when you feel that feeling of comparison and lack, just like, Watch a video with that person that is a role model. Get back into that state of being like, no, 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 I'm on the right path. Like if you're someone that you think money will make you happy, but you're doing something you love, but it's never going to make you money, but you just really do want that, then like it's good to find a role model that's aligned with what you're already doing that you know makes you feel good or that you want to feel good. You know, those people, I have a few of those people. I always think of them in those moments of like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. And I think to that and it just snaps me out of it because in the world that we live in, comparison is never not going to happen. It's just the human experience today. It just is. So having the people that yank you out of it, that like remind you of where you are and where you're going is really important. You know, like if there's a chapter of a book or a quote or a thing that reminds you that like, say, if you think money buys you happiness, maybe like say the chapter of my book where it's like there's a little paragraph and like have that saved to just remind you that it doesn't and then also something that might be aspirational to like move you on with your goals of where you're going because it's staying in that place like we're always going to be pulled off into that feeling of lack it's just how it is but finding something to snap you back into reality is what's really going to keep you on path so what I'm hearing is we're all going to go to the link in the bio, we're all going to buy the book, and we're going to have it on our bookshelf <laughs> next to our bed. We're going to take screenshots and we're going to use them to motivate us. The money doesn't buy you happiness, but if you are happy, you will find a lot of financial freedom come your way as well. Like you really do. It's the law of attraction. It's like you just got to get the work done on yourself first. You can't avoid it, you know. You can't avoid doing that work. It's just not possible. That is a beautiful place to end it, Erin. Thank you so much for coming in, for sharing your story, for being so vulnerable. It's not easy to have had the journey you've had and been like, you know what? I want to make sure other people can learn from this. So thank you so much. Thank you. It is our absolute honor. If people want to learn from you, where can they find you? Yeah, so on Instagram is usually where I am hanging out the most. Uh, I have a website 
The investment I'm making is in a really cool platform that will make me very accessible to a lot more people next year. So stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, I'll be on Instagram and I have a website and I'm just around. (laughs) You DM me. I'm pretty active on DMs. I'm pretty behind, but I do catch up. So if you have a question, definitely hit me up. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And as always, to finish off with the disclaimer. Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please do your due diligence.